Our scripture passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. I invite you to join me as we um, read the, uh, this passage. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far, far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your Heavenly Father already knows what all of your needs. <coughs> Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today, today's trouble is enough for today. We're continuing our series of messages on the... Sermon on the Mount, and if you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, you can turn to chapter 6 of Matthew as we continue. My nephew, when he was a young boy, loved to memorize portions of whatever, and he memorized a piece from Silverstein's Where the Sidewalk Ends. It was a, a reading called Smart. Uh, actually, he and his family are now in China as he serves there. But he memorized this little thing that I always felt kind of humorous when I'd hear him uh, repeat it as a young kid. My dad gave me one dollar because I'm his smartest son. And I swapped it for two shiny quarters because two is more than one. And then I took the quarters and traded them to Lou for three dimes. I guess he doesn't know that three is more than two. Just then came along old blind Bates. And just cause he can't see, he gave me four nickels for my three dimes. And four is more than three. And I took the nickels to Hiram Coombs down at the seed feed store. And the fool gave me five pennies for them. And five is more than four. 
And then I went and I showed my dad and he got red in the cheeks and closed his eyes and shook his head. Too proud of me to speak. <laughs> uh, young children may not be all that smart when it comes to the world of high finance. They don't have a clear sense of the value of money. But I'm afraid this morning that we may be similar. We who are children of our Heavenly Father may not be any smarter than the child in the Shel Silverstein's poem. There are times, I think, when our Heavenly Father must get red-cheeked, close his eyes, and shake his head because we don't truly understand the value of things. That's what Jesus was talking about in this section that we're looking at this morning on the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches us to look at treasures in a new kind of way. He teaches us about treasures and he teaches us about worry and the two of them are tied together as we'll see this morning. But in the passage that Brad read for us, the first couple of verses say, don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and, and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal. Jesus warns us about the dangers of choosing the wrong kind of treasures, the danger of putting our hope in earthly treasures, choosing the wrong kinds of treasures. Jesus tells us that there are some things that we might treasure that have a limited lifespan, a built-in obsolescence. I had a 1993 Toyota 4Runner that I absolutely loved. Uh, it was a good vehicle and it lasted a long time. I had 350,000 miles on it when I finally let it go. But my aunt put things in perspective when I told her that I really didn't want to get rid of it. She said, that vehicle owes you nothing. And she was right. When I tried to trade it in, it didn't count for anything. I've got a 10-year-old computer, and Maddie is on my case to replace it because it's obsolete, and it is so slow, and you know, on and on and on. Because, you know, it was a valuable computer at one point, but obviously it is no longer, according to Maddie. If you own a house, you know that over time it begins to fall apart. And you need to do repairs and upkeep to keep it. Things lose their value. And even if they don't lose their value, sometimes they lose their ability to satisfy us. Have you ever had something that you just wished you could get and finally you got it and you thought, oh, I'm going to be satisfied now. And after a few weeks, months, kind of the sheen wears off and it kind of loses its, its attractiveness and it kind of, you know, sits on the shelf and you, you kind of ignore it. Some treasures cannot be protected no matter how hard we try to put all of our energies and all our efforts into our earthly portfolio is a very poor investment strategy. There are downturns in the market, there's devaluations of currency, 
there's the bust of the, of the uh, real estate market. All of these things help us to understand that some treasures cannot be secured no matter how many locks we use to protect them or how much insurance we buy. Certain things, Jesus says, lose their value. Then he says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Heavenly treasures have a lasting value. So treasures in heaven have a permanence. Paul writes in 1 Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. It's a matter of guarding and recognizing that there are certain things we can do that have permanent and lasting value. Doing good, being generous, willing to share. In these ways, we are laying up treasures in heaven. And then Jesus wraps this up by saying, treasures and the heart are in the same place. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a matter of guarding our heart, and it's a reciprocal kind of, reciprocal kind of relationship. Where our heart is, that's where we will seek our treasure. Where our treasure is, our heart will follow. When our heart is in the wrong place and our eyes are on the wrong things, we end up being enslaved to the wrong Lord. Jesus is trying to help us to understand the dangers of pursuing the wrong kinds of treasures. In verse 22 and following, he causes us to recognize that perhaps when we look at treasures, we look with a distorted perception. Verse 22, the, eyes of the, lamp are, uh, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What's Jesus getting at here? We talk these days about people who look at the world through rose-colored glasses. By that, we mean that they don't see the world for what it really is. They have distorted perceptions. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Oftentimes, when we look and try to evaluate values, we look at it with a distorted perception. In 1 John, John writes about this when he says that they don't love the world or the things that are in the world. Uh, if we do that, the love of the Father is not in us. And then he says, for everything in the world, the craving of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, he refers here to the eyes, and the boasting of what we, uh, he has does not come from the Father but from the world. There's a danger that 
in thinking about treasures. We think about it wrong. We see things in a distorted way. You ever played the game at Christmas time where you bring uh, gifts and you wrap them up and then there's a little game where you sit in a circle and you pass the game around, uh, the, tr the gift around and the, with music and when the music stops, you can either keep the gift that you have or trade it with someone and, uh, you, uh, or you can open it. And oftentimes when we play a game like that, we look at the wrapping and we look at the size of the gift and we try to assess Okay, how valuable is this gift? And you and I have had the sad experience of thinking, we, ah, we got the right gift, and we're going to open this one up, and we're embarrassed by some, you know, bad-looking gift that we really didn't want in the first place. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here, you know. We look at things in the wrong way. We, we value them in the wrong way. The advertising industry is counting on that. They spend mon uh, all kinds of money to get us to see things in a certain way and to misjudge their values. We can become like the little boy in Shel Silverstein's piece. We misperceive the value of things. And then Jesus wraps it up by saying, this is what causes the impossibility of serving two masters. Either you will be clinging to the one and hating the other, or vice versa. Then in verses 25 through 34, he expands a bit more to help us to understand the truth about, uh, about worry. And there's a connection. There's a connection. A distorted value system becomes the cause of worry. Even if we're amassing a big pile of earthly treasures, for some reason or another, it doesn't assuage worry. I experienced that some years ago when I was in a study group with a group of pastors and we were going through the seven deadly sins. And we got to the sin of avarice and I had no idea what avarice meant really. It was kind of one of those things where you don't use that word very often. But it essentially means that you, you, you're concerned enough and worried enough that you're afraid to let go of stuff. And I realized that that was me because there were things that I really didn't need, really didn't use, but for some reason I said, no, I can't let that go. I can't give that away because, you know, I might need it. And there was that sense of, of worry that, you know, I didn't have much, but I wasn't going to let go of what I had because I was afraid of what that would mean. And Jesus says very clearly, that is a problem. Four times in this text, he says, don't worry. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? And then verse 31, he says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? And then verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. It's pretty clear that this text is telling us, don't worry. 
don't worry. He gives us four reasons why we shouldn't be worried. First of all, worry grows out of a faulty premise about life. Verse 25, he says, Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? In Luke, the 12th chapter, the 15th verse, Luke writes, Your life consists of more than food and clothing. Is not life more than this? We tend to misjudge what life is all about. I don't think I've ever heard anyone who at the end of their life is looking back over their life and said, man, I wish I'd have spent more time at work. We realize at the end of life that perhaps we've had a little bit of a faulty view of what the value, what we ought to value in life. And Jesus says, it's this faulty premise about what life is all about that gets us in trouble and we begin to value the wrong things. Secondly, he says, it's a futile activity. Which of you, by worrying, verse 27, can add a single hour to his life. I think Jesus was kind of being tongue-in-cheek and humorous here. You really know that if you worry, you're going to add more to your life? The medical community tells us it's just the opposite. The more we worry, the shorter our life gets. Jesus is trying to help us to understand that it doesn't do any good. Thirdly, he says, it shows a lack of faith. Jesus gives us two very important examples from nature of God's care and his capacity to care. And he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He says, aren't you more valuable than? And so he starts with something which is simple like the, the flowers and the birds, and he says, you are more valuable than they. And then he argues from the greater to the, from the lesser to the greater. The first example is he feeds the birds of the air. When we lived in Canada, we spent some time uh, watching a, a website that was fixed on a eagle's nest on Hornby Island and watched the eagles uh, break out of their shells and be born and then the uh, eagles feeding and nurturing the, the little eaglets. And one of the things that I discovered on the website as we were doing that is that uh, the Herricks, Carricks who uh, had the website said that one of the interesting things that happens is that eagles tend to have their young, uh, when the days, uh, when daylight hours are getting longer, so that it coincides with the fact that there are two low tides during the daylight hours. That way, the eagles have much greater chance and ease of gathering food for their young. Now, we could say, well, look, the eagles are you know, active in caring for their, their young. But just think how all of nature kind of comes together 
so that these little young eagles are able to be nurtured. That's our Heavenly Father and how intimate he works with all of the universe to bring about his care. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Then he uses the lilies of the field. And he says, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. There are fashion designers like Ralph Lauren, Oscar de la Renta, Armani, Louis Vuitton, who spend millions and millions of dollars dressing the rich and the famous. But in all honesty, do, does what they produce hold a candle to the beauty and the delicacy of all the beautiful flowers <clears throat> that we uh, see around us and the way in which God has created a world of beauty. And if he does this, can we not trust that he will care for us? Finally, the fourth reason we ought not to worry is because it challenges and questions the character of our Heavenly Father. In verse 26, he calls them and he says, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. I think it's no accident that he says Heavenly Father. As we said last week, as we looked at the, at the uh, Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven, it's the idea of the relationship that we have. And then in verse 32, he says the same thing. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do we trust God? Do we understand his character and his relationship with us? Do we truly trust in God's providence? Uh, the word providence is perhaps a, a word that we struggle with a bit, but uh, John Stott uh, describes it this way. Providence is God's power under the guidance of his love making provisions for the good of his creatures. Two things, God's power and his love providing for his people, his children. John Stott goes on to say, to become preoccupied with the many things in such a way that they engross our attention, absorb our energy, and burden us with anxiety is incompatible with both Christian faith and common sense. It is distrustful of our Heavenly Father and frankly, stupid. <laughs> but you say, wait a minute, can we really trust God can we really put our whole self and our whole life and our whole destiny in the hands of God? Well, we talk about we're going to offer, you know, give ourselves to him for eternal life. If you trust him for eternal life, can we not trust him for 
temporal life. Aren't we encouraging people to be lazy and irresponsible if we say, just trust God? In the scriptures, there's really no conflict between trusting God and being responsible and industrious. We saw in Thessalonians where Paul made clear that if a person didn't work, they shouldn't eat. The scriptures kind of tie the two together. We are to trust God and work as though everything depends on us, but then pray as though God is going to do it all. Planning ahead and saving for the future is a biblical principle. There's a difference, however, between foresight and foreboding. And I think too often we slip from foresight into foreboding and it becomes worry. The Proverbs make it clear. Proverbs 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider his ways and be wise. Verse, chapter 20, verse 5, he who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 13, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And chapter 21 of Proverbs, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. We can trust God, our Heavenly Father. We can go to Him and say, I need daily bread. We can leave all of our cares and our anxieties apart. So how do we do this? Well, here's some basic solutions and some practical ways to overcome worry. First, grow in our confidence and our reliance in the character and the promises of our Heavenly Father. Trust in his providence, his power and love to provide for all that we need. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Reorder our priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then he adds all of these other things as well reorder our priorities. What's first? We can't serve both. You can't serve both, as Jesus said. And then, when we tend to become worried, we resort to prayer and take it to our Lord. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious. In other words, don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 55 says, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. And even though... We may go through some hard times and trials and temptations and God doesn't promise in this text that it's all going to be easy, but that he will give us what we need, what he knows we need because he loves us and he can care for us. In the Old Testament, Habakkuk the prophet, in the midst of some hard times from the, at the, in the children of Israel, wrote, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vine, 
Though only olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. That's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's trusting the Lord and doing what he has called us to do. Pretty practical when you get right down to it. Can I trust the Lord? Can I put my whole faith and confidence in his care for me? Reorder our priorities in terms of what is valuable. And then stop worrying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you remind us again that you are perfectly able to care for us. And if you can care for the birds of the air, feed the eaglets by the way you order the universe, how much more will you care for us? If you create the beautiful flowers, Father, how thankful we are that you care for us even more than that. Thank you for your promises to us. May we trust you. May we have confidence in you. Lord, we know that it takes a day-by-day decision to make you the Lord of our life and not to have other gods before us. Thank you, Father, for reminding us this morning in Christ's name. Amen.